You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. My name is Bill Vecchio, one of the pastors here. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to be diving into Exodus 17. So if you have a Bible, grab it. On the aisles as well as um, on the tables, there's some Bibles if you don't have it. I also really recommend the YouVersion Bible app to have that on your phone. It has some great reading plans and some great uh, opportunities to where when you're doing anything in your day, you could just open your phone. Um, I think the last stat I heard is that we touch our phones 2,600 times a day. And if I give you 400 for calls and texts, if you are even that popular, Chris, um, <clears throat> that means 2,200 times we are just touching our phone just because to be distracted maybe, um, to escape. Um, and uh, man, what an opportunity would be is if some of those times we were actually reading the word of God um, and hearing the truth of what God has to say to us. So Exodus 17. <clears throat> so we're in this series, The Promise, and we're journeying with the Israelites when they leave Egypt and they're going into the promised land. So they're traveling through the wilderness into the promised land. And so we see God work and act in huge ways to show his people that he is for them, that he is going to provide for them, that he is going to protect them as they're journeying through this wilderness. And so we see uh, Pharaoh's army coming hard after the Israelites, and we see that their backs are against uh, the sea. And what does God do? He parts the sea. And then they go through the sea on dry ground, and then they come to a place where they are thirsty because they have no water. And so God provides them water. And then we see that 45 days in, they are hungry. And so God gives them food, manna, and quail. And now they're about to experience their first battle. And at the end of this battle, Moses makes a declaration. He calls God Yahweh Nisi. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is our banner. That's the word, banner. You know what a banner is? Right? We, we sometimes interchange it with flags, or, um, but it's, it's the thing that you put up on a wall. It's, it's a banner that displays something, a logo, a theme, an idea. Right? We put these on the sides of buildings. We put these in stores. We have banners. They're billboards, right? That as you drive down 41, you can see um, where you can go for, I think it's plastic surgery and all those fun things that the world really holds dear to. And then, so we're entering in, and what a banner does is it identifies and it unifies a particular group of people. So countries have flags and businesses have billboards. We create logos. I remember um, going to my first Gator game. How many Gator fans do I have? Yeah. So um, my first Gator game was with my bride because she is a diehard Gator fan. She is a bigger Gator fan than I am. Um, And I got this. Come on. Come on. Who doesn't know Tim Tebow? Right, so um, my first Gator jersey, and, and this is a type of banner, right? Jerseys, sports paraphernalia. And I remember going to this game, and so my wife and I are going. We were, were we married at that point? No. So we were dating, and um, we go to this game, and we got there early, and I remember parking our car at what seemed like miles away from the stadium because it was just absolutely packed. And then we proceeded to walk through thousands and thousands and thousands of people 
eating food and hanging out and playing cornhole and celebrating and throwing frisbees. And then we get up to the stadium and then we, you know, like cattle are being herded into our seats. And we end up sitting like kind of, not 50-yard line, but I mean, we had great seats. And this is when there was a young man who wasn't their starting quarterback, but his name was Tim Tebow. And he took the field. And then I think that game, I think it was one of his games, he scored like five touchdowns. And it was like, who is this guy? Right? And I remember hearing the crowd just go nuts. I mean, when the crowd yelled, when they screamed, when they cheered, I mean, the place shook. I remember there was one point where they did a flyover. Like they had, like they paid for these army fighters to like fly over the stadium during this game. I mean, and it just rumbled and your heart just pounded in your chest. And we were so excited to see what was going on. We were bannering the Gators, a group of young men who were taking a pig's skin and walking it across a line. And it was fun. And it was enjoyable. I'm not dogging it. I'm just saying we often celebrate and we often banner things that are so temporary and even meaningless. And what we're going to see in this passage is that there is, um, there is a God who loves you. He desires a relationship with you. And he calls us to join him on mission. And that mission is to hold and declare his banner, his truth, his word, his purpose. And we get to join him. But the, the problem is, is that there are so many things in our lives that try to steal our affections from bannering his truth. There's so many things that want our banner, right? So uh, how many of you have gone shopping at a store and you accidentally or even purposely for 10% gave them your email address? And then you get spammed and texted. Leave us a review, right? Like us on Facebook and Twitter, right? Because they want, to, they want people in the world around you to see you bannering them. They want others to know that you like what they're doing, and so they ask you to banner them. That's what you're doing. When you're hitting the like button, you're bannering. When you're, when you're um, writing a review, you're bannering something. It could be good or bad, I guess. Tell your friends. Put your sticker, put our sticker on your car. But these banners very quickly can turn into idols. Yeah, I don't know if my favorite restaurant would technically be an idol in my life, but there are so many things that the devil uses to become idols in my life, things that I begin to banner without even knowing it. Politics? I'll go there. Politics? We start bannering things that we believe are true and holding those things up. What about the banner of more than? I was talking to our staff this week about this. The banner of more than. See, in different stages of life, it's not that you have to have all the things. You just want to have more than the people that are the same level as you. So when um, keeping up with the Joneses was something that my parents used to say, I don't know if that's like lost on our generation, but it's like when your neighbor gets a new toy, you want to go get a new toy? 
and your new toy has to just be a little bit better than their new toy. And when your neighbor gets a new car, you want to get a new car. And when your best friend does this, you want to do this, right? We begin to banner this more than, where we begin to give our time, talent, resources to things just because the people around us that we feel are on the same level as us are doing. So we buy our first house when we don't have the money. Why? Because our friends have them. We want them. So we begin to banner these things and make them idols in our lives. Money, success. What about love and relationships? We can banner those. I mean, selfies, right? Everywhere we go, me and my boo. Do you know what a boo is? Okay. What about our influence? Or even influencers? Right? There are people in our culture and our society who are very young, They are very immature. They have no credentials. They have no training. Yet for some reason, thousands of people like them on a thing called Instagram or Facebook. And then they get up and they start telling us how to do things. And we think, oh, that's a good idea. Without even figuring out why we're going to even listen to these people. But we banner what they say and what they do because they are influencers. Well, they're getting a bunch of likes. They must be doing something right. These are all tools that the devil does to steal our affections from him. And so, what is your banner? What will identify and unify every single aspect of your life? Let's read Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told them and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held his hands up, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's pray. Jesus, we look at your word and we pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds Because each and every one of us, with no exceptions, have things in our lives, multiple things, many things, that we banner, that we hold up, that we give weight to. And often those things can can take priority over you. So God, I pray that as we look at what it means to, to have you, the Lord is our banner, I pray that we would have our affections stirred and our desires grow to know more of you and love you. 
It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, there's this staff. I don't know if it looked like this, but I'm sure it was made of some kind of wood, and Moses had it, and, and it journeyed with him throughout the wilderness, even actually when he went in to, uh, Moses had it before, right? This was something that, that Moses had, and Moses tended flocks, and, and he was a shepherd, and he, he would have one of these, and even when he was at the burning bush, I'm sure that he had this with him, and so the Lord took what he had, and he began to use it. Should I say that again so we don't lose that? The Lord took what he had, and he began to use it. So Moses goes into Egypt and begins to do these wondrous, wonderful, amazing signs with his staff. Not because Moses was a magician or he was special, but the power of God went with him. And the Lord wanted to use what Moses had. And so he would take the staff and, and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, he would throw it down and it would turn into a serpent. How crazy would that be if that happened? No, don't do that. Don't drop it. Okay, my wife's shaking at me. Snake handling church. Um, and so, um, and then he proceeded to the Red Sea where their backs were against it. And, and he held this up on the sea part. And then there was no water. And so he took this and he hit it against a rock and water came out of nowhere. And so this was a symbol for the people of God, of God's provision and his power. It was the staff that he held in his hand. And that's what we see in verse 9. So Moses says to Joshua, I mean, he already knows. He already knows what God is going to do because God has done it over and over and over again. And so he took what he had and he said, all right, like we're going to go and we're gonna, you're going to fight with Amalek and tomorrow I'm going to stay on top of the hill and I'm going to hold this up. Joshua, you can be confident because this is going to be held up. And this, you will know that the, the power of God is with us and he's going to provide for us. So he goes on top of the mountain with his staff. Not a magical staff, not because it was in just Moses' hand, but because God wanted to do a work for his people. He wanted to provide and protect his people. And this was his chosen instrument. Why the staff? Why didn't God just do it? We were talking about this with our staff the other day. Different type of staff. And we were talking about how if God just did it, then I think sometimes when things happen in our lives that, that are of the hand of the Lord, but it kind of just happens, we fail to give God the credit. I mean, this was just a, a symbol of God's provision. And so it was held up, and, and when it was held up, God moved. So that without a doubt, without a doubt, people knew God was at work. But we must remember that the devil takes every opportunity to distort and distract us from what God has and make us think that something like a staff is more important than him or the things that we have are more important than what he has for us. This is called sin. These are empty promises to satisfy us apart from God. So God gives us a, a great business deal and we receive a lot of money from that. And then we begin to put our hope and our faith in the wealth, not in the God who has given it to us. Or he gives us an awesome child who is super athletic and, and is great, and then all of a sudden they win national championships like Tim Tebow, but then can't make it in the NFL. And then our world begins to crumble because our kid failed. 
or they didn't live up to the expectations that we had for them. Or maybe they go wayward and they stop believing the things that you tried to instill in them when they were little. We begin to put our faith in the stuff and not in the God who has given us those things. This is sin. I think when we look at sin, we can ask the same question of, why, why doesn't God just win the battle? Why doesn't he just wipe them out? Why did he even let them attack in the first place? We can ask that same question about sin. Why does God even allow sin? So it's like winning a battle without the staff. God is going to completely erase sin one day. But what God has done for you and for me is that he sends his son Jesus to be born. That's what we're celebrating in a couple of weeks. To grow up, live a sinless life, something that you and I could never do. To be put on a cross, to be murdered, to be buried in a tomb so that three days later he can rise again. Cross, again, is something that we put around our necks, but it's just a symbol. The power is not in the piece of wood. The power is in the person who hung on the tree. And so Jesus was given to us to be our banner, to be the one that we put our hope and our faith and our trust in. Because we could even see that the Israelites, they began to put their hope, their faith, and their trust in Moses. But Moses has a shelf life. He's human. He was going to die one day. All humans will eventually die. Sorry if you didn't know that. Merry Christmas. We all have a shelf life. If they began to put their hope in Moses, eventually that hope would run out. But God gave us something greater than a staff, than a wooden cross. He gave us a person who is alive that we can put our faith and our hope and our trust in and have a relationship with. This isn't a distant relationship. This is a near and close relationship where he dwells within us and we dwell within him. That's the banner that we are to hold. So when, when Moses is writing this, that the Lord is our banner, we look upon this and we remember who our Lord is. Our Lord, his name is Jesus. He is the Savior of all things. He is the one who wipes out all sin. And so, as we journey through the wilderness with the Israelites and we see that God moved, we get to look back and see God moved in a way that we, that, that should just blow our minds that we were once sinners. And yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, he gave his son for us. And so, if you profess to be a Christian, the banner you hold up is the one who identifies and unifies with Jesus. So what does this mean? So Jesus says our banner. Four things. I, if you haven't, we actually are handing out some handouts as you guys are walking in. There are some fills in, fill-ins there. The first thing, Jesus as our banner means that his purpose is our purpose. The Israelites are on a God-given mission. Exodus 3.8 says, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land, a land flowing in milk and honey. God had given them a mission. He said, I'm going to take you from bondage, and I'm going to bring you into this promised land. So they're on a mission. God has given it to them. And so they can walk confidently in knowing that God is going to get them there. The Bible says that God finishes what he starts. So he's never going to give you a mission that he's not going to complete. 
He's going to allow you to journey with him, and he's going to walk you through so that the mission can be complete. What's our God-given mission? Well, we see it in, in two places. We see it in Matthew. We see it in Acts. That we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others. Love God and love others. And the third part of that mission that God calls us to is to make disciples. To love God, love others, and make disciples. That is our mission. That's not just a banner that we hold up and put out in the lobby because we want to be cool and trendy. That's what God has called us to do. To love him above all else. To love the people around us. Whether they deserve our love or not. Do you have anybody in your life that's hard to love? God calls you to love them whether you like it or not. <laughs> to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. That's our mission. And so we, we live this out together in what God calls his church. More on that in a minute. So our job, our gifts, our abilities, our success, our kids' success, all of those things is not our purpose. We do these with excellence. We steward them well because it's what the Lord has given us. But what we do is we champion God's will and God's desire, his mission, his purpose. So when we say Jesus is our banner, Yahweh Nisi, right? When we say Jesus is our banner, we are saying that his purpose is our purpose. So yeah, I've got a ton of landscaping to do at my house. But on Saturday, I'm going to come here. And make a place a little bit more inviting so that when people come, it's easier to park so that they're not pulling into bushes on the side of the building. I know that may sound simple and dumb, but the mission that we're called to is to welcome people into the life of his family so that when our neighbor is hurting and broken, that we can invite them over for dinner or bring them a meal. When, when we have friends and family who, who are going through a difficult time that we come and we serve them, and we love them, and we rally around them. That's what it means to be the church. It's his mission, his purpose. So Jesus as our banner means his purpose is our purpose. And then two, when he speaks, we obey. When he speaks, we obey. God says, go, we go. You know, one of the most frustrating things as a parent, maybe you can relate to this, is when you say, hey, go brush your teeth, and the kid just looks at you, and then you're like, seriously, go brush your teeth. And then they're like, oh. and then they walk over and they start like playing with something. And you're like, what is happening right now? Man, how often does God feel that way about me? He says, hey, I want you to go share with this person about how much I love them. I'm like, well, God, have you seen my calendar today? Pretty packed. When God speaks, we obey. Exodus 13, 18. We see that God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And he said, the word says that thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And so in verse 8, what we see here is this, this army, Amalek, the Amalekites, coming to destroy, to defeat, to attack the Israelites. So just to give us a little background real quick, they're just defending their land. 
And so there are these people that have come up out of the Red Sea. Imagine living on the other side of that, right? You're just camping out one day. You're looking at the Red Sea. It's a beautiful backdrop to your home. And all of a sudden, people start walking out of it. And then they start coming into your territory and into your land and using your resources. So they're just defending their land. But some would say that Amalek is actually a descendant of a person named Esau. Jacob and Esau. And their father Isaac had given a birthright to Jacob over his older brother Esau. And the Bible actually says... um, In Romans 9.13, in the words of Scripture, I loved Jacob, but Esau I rejected. And so Jacob was the man who wrestled with God. Do you know what happened after Jacob wrestled with God? God changed his name. Do you want to know what his name is? Israel. You know who's journeying to the promised land right now? The Israelites. His generation's. So God chose Jacob to make a people for himself, the Israelites. Esau has some sons and some sons, some sons. He was not God's chosen people, and now there's Amalek and the Amalekites. And now they're going to wage war with one another. But whose side is God on? His chosen people, the Israelites. And so now what we see is there's this battle and this war going on between Amalek and the Israelites. And God is going to prove to his people that I am for you. And so where do we enter into this story? But if you are a Christian, then then you are a part of the Israelites. Because in the New Testament, the Bible says that you have been grafted in. That when Jesus came, he started preaching good news for both the Jews, the Israelites, and the Gentiles. I don't know, you may be here, but I don't think we have many Israelites in this room. So the good news for us is that God has given the opportunity to every man, every woman, and every child through the person of Jesus to join and be a part of his family, his chosen people. And when you are saved by grace through faith, then the provision and the protection that we are seeing here for the Israelites now becomes your protection and your provision by placing your faith and your hope in God as your Lord and your Savior. So, his purpose is our purpose, and when he speaks, we obey. How could we obey, though, if we haven't even read it? I mean, if you have banked all of eternity on the fact that what has been said in here is real, have you even read it for yourself? Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But so often, we begin to take the, the wisdom of the influencers in the world and try to give it to people before we go and open this. So when someone comes to you and says, Hey, I have a problem. Are you quicker to tell them the five steps of being a better person or to tell them the good news of Jesus? I was with a good friend the other day. someone I look up to. And we were talking about just stuff going on in our lives. And he had shared that there was some pressing stuff going on in, their, in his life. And he had just said, hey, do you have any advice? And I'm like, man, I, I don't know. I have a degree in psychology. I, I know what all the books say. But I think we have to look through this through a gospel way. And so we started talking about there's really two options. 
do all the things that the world is telling you to do. Cut them off. You know, right the wrong. You know, go after them. Get, your, get yours. Or forgive 70 times 7. Love them unconditionally. Continue to give them good news. But, but they're going to hurt me. Yeah. But let's go back to Scripture and, and see what the Lord has called us to do. Right? Because the relationship's stressed either way. <laughs> but in this one, what the Bible says is when we follow what the Lord has called us to do, that he will give us joy and peace. But when we follow what the world is calling us to do, it's going to lead to destruction. So do you believe what this says? When he speaks, we obey. And then we serve one another. Look at verses 10 through 13. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, whenever Moses lifted up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. I wonder if at any point he started like going like this just to kind of see what was going on. <laughs> Wait, what? Sorry, this is how my mind works when I'm reading. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Jesus says our banner means we serve one another. We hold up each other's hands. That's what the church is. A people to come together like Aaron and her and to lift one another up. Have you surrounded yourself with people who are going to banner the same thing you are bannering and hold up your hands the same way that God has called you to hold up their hands? We all long for community. We all long to belong. I know my wife and I, it was so monumental and instrumental in our lives to have our best friends move in next door to us when we were living in Estero. It was, we were early in our marriage. We were, we were young. We were trying to figure it out. And our best friends moved in next door, and they loved Jesus above all else. And so when Lauren and I were argue, we would, we would have this disagreement. We would say, you know what? I'd go, babe, why don't you go over to Ashley's house? I was like, hang out with her for a little bit. Why? Because I knew that what Ashley wasn't going to do is she wasn't going to fuel her fire. I knew that she, when, when Lauren went over there, and it happened on multiple occasions to be like, can you believe what my husband did? That she wasn't like, oh, no, he didn't, right? And she's like, you better go tell him this, this, this. No, that's not what she would do. She would listen, and then she would give Lauren the gospel. And she would talk about what the Bible says about submission and love and grace, and mercy. And it would squelch the fire that was in her, the sin that was in her. And Nate would do the same for me. And often, over and over again, in the early stages of my marriage, we had this couple that we can go to. Do you have people like that in your life? A community group. A group of friends that when things aren't going well, you can go and be open and vulnerable with. Listen, I know you don't have it all together. I promise you, I know that. But for some reason, we think that we have to act like we do. One of the most difficult things that Tim and I can experience as your elders is when you just assume that we know what's going on in your life because you posted something on Facebook. You're on Facebook a lot? Me neither. And so we've had people get mad at us 
because they just assume that we know what's going on in their lives without them calling or, or letting us know. Or three months later, they were like, you didn't know that we were blah, 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 and we're like, no one told us. And so it's so important as the body of Christ to hold one another's hands up. What does Moses do? Moses brings them up to the mountain with him. We have to take this journey together. So when you're hurting, you have people around you that you can call and say, hey, Mark, I don't have it all together. Mark, my hands and my arms are weary. Hold them. That's what we need in our lives. But we need to be the ones that are asking people to come around and help us. People aren't just going to walk up with the mountain with us. I think sometimes we assume too much on other people. But man, my prayer is that this would be the type of church that we would have a ton of Aaron's and hers. That we would have a ton of people that would lift up each other's arms when we need it most. And that we would have people like Moses who would invite people up the mountain with them. And so, Jesus says our banner means that his purpose is our purpose. When he speaks, we obey. And when we serve one another. And I'm going to invite the band to come back on up. Here's the last one. Jesus says our banner means we worship in his victory. We worship in his victory. At the end of this story, Moses builds an altar. An altar is a place of worship. It's a place for sacrifice. All of our teams that we root for, they will lose. Our success will go up and down. Our bank accounts will go up and down. Our kids who we expect never to fail will fail. Our spouses will let us down. But there is one thing in our lives that will always remain constant. There is one, one person who will never let us down. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus will be victorious because he has already been victorious. He has already won the war. He has already won the battle. And we are in this already but not yet place where we are expectantly looking forward to eternity, that we get to spend it with him with no more hurting, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more brokenness, no more sin. But right now, as we live in it, he promises that he gives us the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit to use us and guide us and direct us to give us comfort and peace and wisdom in the midst of difficult times. And so we place our trust and our hope in him and him alone, not the stuff. And in Romans 1, we see that the people of God left God because they began to put their worship into the creation rather than the creator. If you're here this morning and you have not fully surrendered your life to Jesus, my prayer and our hope for you is that you would realize that there is a God who loves you and there is a God who desires to have your full allegiance. When we give him our all, he, the Bible says, actually lifts us up. We mount on wings like eagles. We will run and we will not grow weary. I don't know about you, in a season coming out of COVID, as we get older, our hairlines recede and our backs hurt because we do yard work. All of those things. Although we may fail, though we may hurt, we will experience pain. 
we have Jesus. He is our hope. He is where we place our faith. The advent of the coming baby that we can know and love and enjoy. So we worship in his victory. I'm going to read some verses over us right now as a prayer. Then we're going to go back into singing as a form of worship. Would you pray with me? Father, often we ask the question, can anything ever separate us from your love? It does not mean that we that you no longer love us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. So may we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. God, I pray that you are our banner that we would fight, that we would love well, that we would go out and make disciples so that your name would be made great. God, I pray that we, your people, would allow you to be the biggest banner, the only banner that we carry in our lives. We love you. It's in your name that we pray.